0: In Nitro, West Virginia, this is Unreasonable Doubt, a podcast about West Virginia University basketball, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Josh Witt. Welcome to a very special episode of Unreasonable Doubt. This is episode five. It's the Clemson Tigers game. This is the third place game in the Shriners Children's Charleston Classic in Charleston, South Carolina. Let me get these qualifiers out of the way right off the bat for this very special episode. I've never coached basketball in my life. I've never had a whistle around my neck on a basketball court clapping, not to music, but to motivate, quote unquote, my players to make layups in the layup line. I've never drawn up a play. Like I like to draw up plays in my free time, but I've never done it in a game that counts where if quote unquote, my team loses, that goes against my record. I haven't done any of that. I've played basketball at at a young age, and I've watched lots of basketball. Those are my qualifications for this very special episode. But let's all talk about it together. What are the things you have to think about when you're coaching a basketball game that counts? Where they do keep score and they do keep track of how many wins, if you're a head coach, you have and how many losses you have. What do you have to think about at a very high level? Like not the minutia, because I'm sure basketball coaches that are listening to this could tell me for hours of things they have to think about, the preparation and practice. If you're a college coach, what goes into recruiting, all of the NCAA rules, your daily schedule, what you do in the offseason, having a feel for the team, like all that stuff aside, the at a very basic level, what are you on the hook for as a head basketball coach? This is what I've put together. All right. And I'll start chronologically. Like the first thing you had to do entering a game that counts is you've got to pick your starting five In basketball, you get to put five guys on the court and the other team gets to put five guys on the court or ladies, whoever, right? You You have five players. And so really your first decision is who is going to be on the floor first, who's going to do the jump ball at the beginning of the game. And so you're, For most teams, you're going to like that's a decision. You're going to have more than five players. You can only put five out there. So that's your first decision. Who's going to start the game? Right. Then, at a basic level, as a coach, you're figuring out what you're doing on offense. Right. And this gets into the practice stuff like how you practice, the plays that you practice. Maybe you don't have plays, maybe you just run motion offense. Like, and you practice motion offense, but you don't have set plays. It's just like, hey, run the motion, right? What you're doing on offense. You also got to think about what you're doing on defense because you don't get to have offense. You don't play offense the whole time. You got to play some defense. And so what does that look like? And again, even if you practice it, you have to determine before the players go into the court, like this is what we're doing on defense, Specifically, like if you have pl- five players out there and you're playing man-to-man or woman-to-woman defense, you've got to say, all right, these are the assignments. This is who you're guarding. I don't guess you had to do that. You could just say, hey, guys, you figure it out. And then the players can go out and get close to one person. And that's determined that, all right, so I'm going to guard this person. Like you can figure that out. As a coach, you don't even have to do that. Tell them man-to-man and then... Don't tell them what. Now, that's not good coaching in my mind, but they can do that. Conversely, it's not just your players on the court, right? There, There's five players for the other team. And as a coach, you're not coaching the other players on the other team, right? But you've got to figure out what they're doing on offense and what they're doing on defense, so that's something you've got to look at and see, oh, my goodness, uh, they're running a zone defense. I recognize that, and now I need to tell my players, forget that motion offense. Let's run some zone offensive plays. Or like, hey, let's run our 2-3 zone offense, right? If <laughs> – I know, I know, I know this seems – and maybe you, you're new to basketball, and this may be – like a 101 course on on basketball and how it works. So it's probably not a lot of people listening that that fit that category, but if you're in that category, welcome. Explaining basketball. And so if the other team's offense is giving it to their like a super tall guy every time and you don't have a tall guy, then maybe you're shouting out defensively, all right, we need to double team the tall guy. Or maybe, I don't know if this is legal, hey, get on that guy's shoulders so we can have a chance of blocking the ball from the tall guy, all right? So what you're doing on offense, what you're doing on defense, what the other team's offense is doing, what the other team's defense is doing, right? In college basketball, college men's basketball, it's a 40-minute game. So that's a that's a pretty long time to play basketball. I, I am not in good shape. I think I could get up and down the court like twice. Uh, and then a, there'd be heavy, labored breathing. And then I would do like a pickup move of if my team got the ball stolen, I'd just stand and watch or just walk across half court. And nobody would say a word to me. And there's not coaches in pickup games. But typically, you don't play. If you have more than five people and you have players on the bench that can come into the game fresh, then your job as a coach is to figure out when to bring that person off the bench into the game. If somebody's on the court and they're struggling or maybe they're they're really tired, then you got to pull them out and put in another player. So substitutions at a high level is a part of being a coach, okay? The other thing I talked a little bit about it with the zone defense and the offense stuff is in-game adjustments. Like as a coach, you can have a game plan going into the game as far as what you want to do against a specific opponent. But if that opponent is doing something different than what you planned for and it's happening during the game, I guess you could stick with the plan that you came in with. But if that plan isn't working because they're doing something different, then in the game, you've got to adjust and make changes. All right? High-level stuff for basketball coaches. Another thing that comes up every once in a while, it's not like on the first page of things you've got to worry about, but in college basketball, you get an allotment of timeouts that you can choose how often you use those timeouts. You don't have to use any timeouts great thing about college basketball is uh, it's on TV and TV, they like to run commercials. And so they'll do that every four minutes of game time. So even you don't have to use any of the timeouts and at every four minute interval, the game stops so you can run commercials. Also at halftime, you get to take a break, but Like if a team's making a run, like if they scored like 15 points in a row and you want to break the momentum of that, you as a coach can call timeout. That doesn't guarantee it's going to work, but you want to try something. Or especially late in the game, if you need to draw up a play and you want to talk to your players, you can call timeout if you have any and then take that timeout. So when do you need a timeout and how to use them? And then the other thing I thought about is just like knowing how much time is left. You need to know on the scoreboard as a coach how much time is left. That may affect your decision-making. So you need to know how much time is left, okay? And and you want to know other things on the scoreboard, too, because that can inform your decisions, right? Like how many you're up by, how many you're down by. So basically the stuff on the scoreboard, as a coach, you're responsible for for that stuff and knowing what's happening. Okay? Have I missed anything? I don't think I've missed anything. Uh, Okay. I said starting five, right? And that there's you can have five players on the court. So I guess you could still at a high level, you need to know who's out on the court, right? I feel like I covered that with like the substitution part and the adjustment part, and that's going to determine who's out there, right? I guess if you, to really nail that point home on the starting five, I guess as a coach, like I listed all these other big things to think about, on down the list, I guess, is Knowing how many players you have on the court. And I feel like I'm, you really are taking care of that by knowing there's a starting five, right? That's the first thing I said. So everybody knows, and if you're a coach, you know that you can only have five players. And substitutions, like you got to, like a player that's coming into the game, they got to go to the scorers table. Typically, when There's not a timeout and you just allow a substitution. The person coming into the game will yell at the person they're substituting for and say, hey, you're out. Or like, hey, who's man you guarding or whatever. And then that person goes to the bench and you still have five players, right? It gets – I guess it's a little trickier in timeouts where you're a coach and you say, hey, bench player, I want you to go into the game, but the game's not happening so there's a scenario where – and you still got to go to the scorer's table and check in, but then you come back to the huddle instead of going on the court. So there's an extra piece of communication you got to do where you have to let somebody know – or the coach can let somebody know, hey, you're out, you're in. You know what I mean? And in a timeout, you had that time to do that because typically you, you're – you're in a huddle with your players talking about what to do next. Right? And if you're if your team's on defense when you come out of the timeout, you know, then and you're playing man-to-man defense, then again on your little whiteboard or maybe your Microsoft Surface or whatever, you're saying, "Hey, you're guarding this person. You're guarding this person. You're guarding this person." You're guarding this person. You have a barker and a dry erase board. So you can even write on the dry erase board the person's number. You don't have to say their name, but you can say their numbers to make it quicker because you don't get to have time out forever. You only get time out for a certain amount of time. I don't want to get too far down the road on that. You can do it on the whiteboard or whatever. And even in that situation, there could be some confusion, right? Um, I would think you could iron that out in the huddle where again you're just saying, Here's who, here's my understanding of who's in the game, everybody's paying attention. If one person went to the scores table and didn't inform the person they're substituting for that they're out, you can still get that ironed out in the huddle, right? In theory, and you know. It could be something where there's not a substitution and somebody thinks they're taking a break. And so you can have less than five players come out on the court. But there's still time to fix it, right? As a head coach, you can catch that because once the timeout and the huddle is over, then the players go back onto the court and then you can look on the court and say, oh, my goodness, we only have four. Hey, you person on the bench, get into the game. Or if you see more than five players on the court, then you can be like, hey, what if you have to leave? Because you can't all stay out there. That's illegal. In my mind, that part of the game, determining who's on the floor and how many are on the floor, And again, I've never coached before. It feels like one of the easiest things you can keep track of. And guess what? It's not just in college basketball. It's not just you as a head coach and your players. You have a coaching staff that could, hey, you know, there's a lot to think about, especially in certain situations as a close game. You've got other people that are not basketball players on the bench and they are paying attention right and if you miss it one of the coaches can catch it right because coach assistant coaches they're they're keeping a track of like if somebody has four fouls you can say hey coach our guy has four fouls we need to get him out of the game we still have eight minutes to play they're keeping track of fouls and they're keeping track of timeouts then I'm guessing they're also keeping track of how many players are on the court. I, I'm assuming. And even if it gets past the head coach and it gets past the assistant coaches, then you have the players on the bench and maybe one of the players on the bench could be like, Oh coach, we we have too many players on the court. And if it gets past the head coach, the assistant coaches, the players on the bench, then you've got players on the court that can kind of look around like, all right, uh, wait, is there there an extra one of us? And out of that layer, there's people watching the game in the stands and there's people watching in the stands that are fans of each team. So if you're the team... That might have one too many players, there could be a fan who's really close to the head coach and the coaching staff be like, coach, there's <laughs> there's too many players on the court. And even if you get past all of those safety measures, like the referees are on the court, and maybe a referee in a good mood can be like in a whispering tone, like coach you don't have the right right number of players on the court. Now, it's okay. You know basketball. I know basketball. And we both know that it's okay to have less than five guys on the court. But if you have more than five, then I have to call a technical foul. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. Not you, curling. Ice hockey. New customers bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. As long as that red lamp comes on and like the, you know, however they do it, you win $100 if either team scores a goal. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. So here's what you need to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wage are required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't know. Well, I do know why I've spent so much time on that particular point. Because let me tell you what happened in this West Virginia Clemson game. Okay. (laughs) Let me tell you what's happening. Let me set the scene. I know this is long winded, but it's very important to me to get this out. 17 seconds left in the game. Clemson is down three. And I'd love to tell you. Uh, how West Virginia got up three, because they weren't up in the second half for most of it. They were down. They went into halftime up. Then Clemson didn't miss a shot for a while. All of a sudden, Clemson's up 10. West Virginia comes back. I might get to that at a later point. I may not. Clemson down three, 17 seconds left. They've called a timeout. One of their guys just made two free throws to cut the lead for West Virginia from five to three, okay? And ESPN, they don't go to commercial, right? So they're focused on the game, and the broadcast shows both huddles. They're showing WVU's huddle for a little bit. They're also showing Clemson's huddle. And when you look at Clemson's huddle, they have a a typical huddle where the head coach is talking to all of the players. Right, And I'm sure the the people that are really focused in are the people who are going to go into the game with 17 seconds left. The camera shows the Clemson huddle one more time briefly, and then they cut to Gabe Osiboyan. And Gabe Osiboyan is close to the West Virginia bench, which is on their side of the court. So Gabe is close to WVU's basket. Okay, and when the timeout ends, the ball is going to be attempted to be thrown inbound from the opposite side of the court. So Gabe is pretty much as far away from the inbound as you could be, but they're focusing on Gabe. (laughs) This gives a chance for the play by play guy to once again call Gabe the Mountaineer man, which is not as cringeworthy as Our guy last year calling Taz the Tasmanator, But he really was trying to get Mountaineer Man off the ground. I don't think it's going to get off the ground. I don't think it has legs. But, again, he's calling him the Mountaineer Man, calling Gabe the MVP. I don't want to get into that anymore. The camera stays on Gabe for quite a while. Okay, so we're talking – we're talking 20 to 30 seconds from when the refs have whistled, hey, everybody get on the court to like in those 20 seconds, they're focusing on Gabe. So much so that Gabe towards the end of the timeout and be- when play is going to start again, there's music playing in the gym and he's bobbing his head to it. Like they've, they've stayed too long on Gabe, but again, the play-by-play guy's got his Mountaineer man bit, Okay. So we get back from Gabe to a camera to show where WVU's taking the ball out on the other side of the court. Now, when we're focused on Gabe, I do not see a Clemson player, okay? So that's important. It could be important. Right before the ref is giving the ball to Malik Curry. The screen shows five Clemson players on the screen. And I've talked about it in detail. You can only have five on the court. So the scenario that's possibly in play, right, because you can only have five, and we've just watched Gabe for 20 seconds and not see a Clemson player close to him, is the Clemson coach is really smart and is really taking a risk here on, you know what? Let's leave Gabe wide open. Let's leave the mountain man wide open on the other side of the court. And maybe the Clemson coach is betting that Malik Curry, he's five games into his experience at WBU, high-pressure situation. Maybe he can't make a full-court pass over the top to Gabe. And maybe even if he can make the pass, you know, it's going to take a while for the ball to travel to Gabe Maybe the Clemson guys that are just a little bit behind half court, they can catch up to the play and foul Gabe before he gets a shot off. And we all know, with love and respect to Gabe, Gabe's not good at free throws. So the Clemson coaches maybe like, you know, take your chances. Let's take our chances at the home run play that we can, if we don't, If we don't deflect it or if we don't get to it, we can foul Gabe and and roll the dice on him making free throws. Plus, one person off of Gabe, we can double team one of West Virginia's good free throw shooters. And they have two, two really good ones in Taz and Sean McNeil. They're both on the court. So Taz is going to get double teamed to ensure he doesn't, you know, Try not to have him get the ball. Solid bet, right? Because he's great at foul shooting. Let's double team the guy that's great at foul shooting. If you can have more than five players, then maybe you try to double team Taz and Sean McNeil. But you can't do that. Again, only five, right? The math doesn't work. So Malik gets the ball to inbound. He's allowed to run the baseline. He goes towards Taz with two guys on him, and Taz beats the two guys to the ball. Malik Curry gives him the ball, and now there's three guys on Taz because the guy guarding the inbound comes over to trap Taz as well and it's close to the corner. One of those three guys basically tackles Taz Sherman out of bounds, and the referee at this point, blows the whistle not once not three times it felt like he he blow he blew the whistle like 20 times and let me tell you as a WVU fan when a referee blows a whistle 25 times it's it's never good and it's rarely good for WVU so my mind goes to that <laughs> I just saw Taz get tackled. They're not going to call a tackle foul. They're going to just say out of bounds on Taz. What else could there possibly be that happened? But it wasn't, they didn't call a tackle foul and they didn't call it out of bounds on Taz. After the 20 whistle blows, the referee walks over, does some pointing pointing and does a technical foul and points at the Clemson bench. Oh my gosh, what how could that happen? Technical foul at this point of the game. What what happened? Did one of the Clemson coaches say something terrible? <laughs> one of the no no things to say on a basketball court? Nope, that's not what happened. ESPN, like a movie, shows the replay, and guess what? There was a Clemson guy guarding game. So five guys, <laughs> Taz is double teamed, a guy guarding the inbound, and a guy guarding each of the three other players, they're – Clemson had six guys on the court. And I've never coached, but you can't do that. And so the ref called a technical foul to let the Clemson coach know you can't do that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh. Oh, and so one of the great free throw shooters for West Virginia, Sean McNeil, he goes to the line and he makes two shots. And now the lead's five, and West Virginia gets the ball back. So that's game over. West Virginia wins. As of this recording, every Clemson coach still has their job every scholarship player for Clemson men's basketball still has their scholarship. So that's great news. <laughs> Cause I don't want anybody to lose their job over this or lose their scholarship over this. That seems like a overreaction. And Huggins with that play as a big part of the game Huggins gives us his 904th win. That puts him fourth of all-time Division I coaches as far as on the number of wins he's had in his career. And this hasn't happened, but it might be in the works. The Clemson coach, any win he's ever had in college gets revoked tonight. And he gets to start at zero. So, by my math, Bob Huggins, 904 career wins as a head coach. Clemson coach, zero. So, thanks for joining me on a special episode of Unreasonable Doubt, the one where I explain to you how insane, how insane it is to have a game decided essentially by one team having six guys on the court for their team instead of five. That's it for this episode of Unreasonable Doubt. Listen on all the platforms or just pick one. Apple Podcasts, all the things. Until next time, I'm Josh Witt. This has been Unreasonable Doubt, WVU for the 2021-2022 season. They are four and one.